Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts uncovering evolutionary solutions to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So grab your pad and pen, jot down your thoughts, sit back and enjoy. This hour, we'll consider heart connection as the avenue to move from instability and discord into balance. Just a year ago, the current events would have been unimaginable. Yet, here we are, facing the greatest crisis of our time. With a pandemic raging, protests, riots, looting, and murders, the world seems to have gone mad. It's rather like waking up one day to find ourselves in an apocalyptic movie. Further complicating things, we're faced with conflicting information. To mask or not to mask? To isolate or to congregate? Black lives matter, all life matters, or nothing matters at all? How we respond to this crisis will dictate our future for years to come. We desperately need to come from stability, logic, and compassion. Yet, with all the hype hysteria, logical responses seem few and far between. Where can we find the insight to navigate through these challenging times? How can we become a voice of reason in the wilderness rather than just another reactionary headless chicken? With us this hour is a gentleman we've had the pleasure of having on the show before, Howard Martin. He's come on today to delve into the heart connection and how we can engage it to navigate the turbulent waters of our time. Howard is one of the original leaders who helped Dr. Childera found HeartMath serving as a key spokesman and executive. With Doc Childra, he co-authored The Heart Math Solution. Howard is also a contributing author to the new book, Heart Intelligence, Connecting with the Intuitive Guidance of the Heart. Howard played a key role in launching the Global Coherence Initiative, a science-based, co-creative project to unite people in heart-focused care and intuition to facilitate the shift in global consciousness from instability and discord to balance, cooperation, and enduring peace. His website, heartmath.com. Howard, on behalf of our listeners and myself, welcome back to Mission Evolution. 
Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, being back on Mission Evolution. I love the name of your of your show, by the way. And I also really like the way you characterized uh, the conditions under which we're living right now during these changing times. It was well said, well thought out, and I appreciate that and appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show. You know, the last time we spoke was June of 2018. Can you believe that? <laughs> and even even then, we were discussing the rapid change and increase of the world's problems. Now here we are in one big modern mess. Did you foresee the chaos we're now facing? Well, I didn't foresee exactly, but certainly I've been speaking about the changes and the shift from an old world to a new one for a very long time now. So, yeah, it's not surprising in a certain way that we're experiencing what we're experiencing. How it went down, when it went down, how suddenly it all started to go down, that was a big surprise to me, just like it was to everybody else. Uh, the pandemic alone has been amazing uh, to have thought about what our world was like, let's say, at the beginning of March and what it is today. And so this extreme rapid change that we're experiencing is something that, yeah, I predicted it. I could see it coming. A lot of people could. Uh, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. And I did see a, in an article recently somebody said, you know, when this all started, we didn't know it was what it was going to be like. And we still don't. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So uncertain, you know, as we go through this process we're going through right now. It'd been one thing if we just had the pandemic, which is, you know, a wild ride enough. But then we add all the rioting and the, oh, my goodness, it's just like, it's like, it's like all logic has fled us. It has. And right in the middle of that, we have a major election here in the United States taking place or going to take place. And that always brings up a lot of tension, polarization, uh, a lot of things that are going on around that. And you've got a pandemic and you've got major societal change happening all at the same time. Uh, So it is unprecedented. I don't think we've ever been through anything like this in the history of humanity. So we're going through a, a societal change. Would you go into that a little? Well, I mean, I think that if you look at the at the changes in inequity, you know, characterized through the Black Lives Movement would be would be a societal change, for example, of the standards in which we are looking at race, in which we're looking at our differences has changed. We can no longer look at it the same way. We can't just sit back and say progress has been made. Everything is headed in the right direction. Now there's a new call for a deeper look at that. Uh, so, yeah, there's polarization on that, too, between Black Lives Matters, All Lives Matters. It's a very hot and very volatile subject to, to even bring up. Um, but to me, when I step back and look at it, it's, it's, it's about trying to find that balance between haves and have-nots, trying to find a, a resonance and a harmony between people all around the world and their differences. This is a big global societal problem, and it's been around since the very beginning of, of civilization. So it's not going to go away overnight. These are important steps that are being taken right now, but it's certainly you know pushing the envelope to take new steps. And within that, you're always going to have you know the, the polarization and the conflict that goes along with it. And it's part of it, I think, part of the process. But so societal change in that context is certainly happening, and that's something we are all very aware of as we take a look at the across the global landscape. Well, I, th- I like the fact that you brought up polarization. It's one of the issues that I like to address a lot because it is di- seems to be diametrically opposed to unity consciousness. And yet you're mentioning that it's something that we kind of need to go through in order to get there from here. Yeah, I think in the bigger picture of things, we're moving towards more of a oneness and more harmony and more cooperation, collaboration, less biases, less judgments, more acceptance. I think that that is the stronger frequency, so to speak, that's in the air. Uh, and that's where we're moving as a, in consciousness. But when you have that type of, of energy showing up, it's always going to stir up at the same time. It's going to show us where we have our gaps where there are things that must be addressed. It isn't just poof, it's magic, and all of a sudden everybody's getting along and we're all in harmony and we're all accepting each other, regardless of our differences. And that would be, to me, spiritual fantasy. Uh, There's a process that goes along with that, and part of that process is the exposure of the differences, and that's where I think some of the polarization uh, becomes more, more to the forefront. So basically you're saying it's not like polarization is coming up, but rather being exposed. Well, yeah, it's both, really. Yeah, it's obvious that it's been there, and it is all that is there. It has been there for a long time. But, yeah, it's being exposed a lot more now of the differences. And we'll take the election, and I'm not trying to get into politics here on your show or anything like that. But when you look at the election, you look at the dramatic differences in opinion about the whole political situation. 
But hasn't uh, there always been that every time there's an election? Of course there has, and I think it's exacerbated. Now, you said something in your intro about, you know, we get so much information, what's real and what's not. We have to start trying to figure out what resonates with us and what the, what our truth is going to be in the context of that. I mean, we can look at one news feed broadcast and see one picture and, and go to the opposite side of that and look at that news broadcast in that feed and a different picture is going to be painted and, and we absorb a lot of information and we all become sort of experts in our own way on politics and on the, 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 the pandemic and a lot of things and our expert information is really being based upon what we're being fed and what we're choosing to absorb and what we're resonating with. You know, you mentioned, I'd like to back up a little bit, you mentioned about the frequency change that's in the air that's supporting unity. Would you go into that a little bit? Where is this change coming from? Well, if, if the way I've talked about it before is where it would be like from what generically be called universal source, which is a very vague answer, but nobody really truly understands what that is anyway, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> but but uh, I've said for many years now that what we are in the process of is a dimensional shift in consciousness. And when I speak in, uh, in terms of dimensions, I'm not talking about a physical dimension. I'm talking about sort of the bandwidth or ranges of information which we draw from to construct what we call reality. And well, you, you, go right. ahead. Well, no. it, used, it used to be that, you know, because we were all kind of segregated and there was less population and there wasn't the information highway, that we would buy into the norms and mores of the culture and that would be our reality. But now it seems like all that's crashing. What's happening there? Well, we, it's the information age, you know, this is the age where we have more information we can possibly even process. Uh, and so what's happening is it's just bringing in lots of new understanding about the third dimension, at least, about the third dimensional reality that we're in. But there's a different kind of information coming in. It's more higher dimensional in nature. And it's really coming in to, in terms of the subtleties that go on in our thoughts and our feelings and our perceptions. Uh, and many people, probably the people who are listening to our conversation right now, have these inner stirrings inside. They know something's going on. They're being asked to change. They're being motivated to change. Uh, when that happens, I know what happens in me is when those type of real refined changes are being sort of inner requested, uh, there's resistances at times. There's a tension to that. There's a, a need to let go of, of certain perceptions that I may have had for a long time or ways in which I try to live that need adjustment. And when that happens, I go through exactly the same thing on the inside that society is going through on the outside. <laughs> yeah. Picked up and shaked until the change falls out of you. Exactly pockets. right. Microcosm, macrocosm. You know, the whole exactly. thing is going on simultaneously. So the dimensional shift is really, a, it's, it's a type of information that we're drawing from. It's not just the news type. I'm talking about information from a bigger source that begins to construct and form the very underpinnings of our psychological natures of how we think, how we feel, how we perceive. And then that does filter down into the societal constructs, the structures that govern society and, and dictate the way uh, the world functions. You know, a lot of people, I'm, I work with people a lot, as you know, <laughs> in my private practice as well as doing this, but um, a lot of people I've talked to over the years, and it seems increasingly so, are wanting to find that book, wanting to find that program, wanting to find that truth, and yet we aren't finding it on the internet. We aren't finding it in the news. We aren't finding it in the written text, but there's this thirst for it. Could you speak to that just a little? Yeah, well, people are looking for answers. You know, the, the world is a very confusing place right now. And, and like we said, like both of us would agree, unprecedented times when the speed of change has accelerated far beyond our ability to wrap our arms around it. And so there's a, a longing now to find answers and meaning. Uh, so people will look for things like books or webinars or other speakers or people that they can identify with and their messages. I mean, HeartMath, for example, during this time, we've seen a huge increase in our business. During these times, would you would you mind defining heart math for us? Sure, heart math. It's the name of the organization that I represent and that I'm part of. We've been around for 30 years. We basically, through a wide variety of methods, deploy a system consisting of techniques, methods, and technology, all underpinned with scientific research, purposely and intentionally designed to help people empower themselves through these changing times. Uh, we have nonprofit. We have for-profit. We address a variety of different markets, everything from healthcare to law enforcement to hundreds of thousands of people who are interested in personal and spiritual growth all around the world. We op operate in 
have our products and services in something like 130 countries now. How many scientists do you have on deck? Well, I think there's a team of about six that we actually employ full-time here, but the collaborations and the ongoing work that they do outside is much larger than that uh, in terms of the people that are contractors or that they're in collaboration with at various universities. But on-site, there's about six researchers. So you use the scientific method in, in researching this somewhat esoteric subject. Yeah, when we started HeartMath, we were trying to, to put out a heart-based system into the world, a system that was embodied the values and qualities long associated with heart, but put into a practical context that could be used to guide life and to, to usher in this new world. To do that, we recognized we had to take heart and, and give it a little different view. We couldn't just rely upon the philosophical and spiritual tenets of heart that are so well respected, but we needed to bring it down to what we call the street into daily living. And so we needed that bridge. We chose science to be the bridge because science carries so much weight in society today. So well, we it's begin- time, it's yeah, time for a com- commercial break, uh, but we will pick up on what heart can do to help us now and what you found out about heart on the other side, if you're game. Sounds great. All right. It is time for that commercial break. Howard and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. What does it mean to invest? At Blackstone, investing is about more than just capital. It's backing visionary entrepreneurs and business leaders, accelerating the growth of their companies, even helping one achieve her mission of empowering women. Supporting scientists discovering life-saving treatments by investing in research and building better labs and helping companies reduce emissions to create a more sustainable future. At Blackstone, investing is about accelerating growth for good. Learn more at blackstone.com slash beyond returns. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the importance of heart connection during these turbulent times? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Lockdown Madness, When All Distractions Fail. TM shares, I absolutely love the tools you and your guests provided to help me and my family move beyond the trauma of lockdown and, should it be necessary, navigate our way through another. Thanks, TM. It was indeed enlightening to uncover how our current lifestyles are no longer serving. Curious, dear audience, visit our archives at missionevolution.org. Listen to this special episode entitled Lockdown Madness, When All Distractions Fail, and let us know what you think. With us this hour discussing the unifying power of the heart is Howard Martin, his website, heartmath.com. So, Howard, we kind of briefly <laughs> outlined the problem, and then there's more we'll go into on that in a little bit. But you, you, your whole organization is trying to bring heart into the equation. What do you mean by heart? Do you mean the beating organ? Uh, what do you mean? Well, we mean both the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual heart, all of it. Uh, the physical level, our heart's an amazing pump. We know that. We also know through our research and the research we've done with others all around the world for 30 years now that the heart is an information processing center in the body. It's sending information to the brain and throughout the rest of the system, and that information is important. I mean, the brain function, for example, is critically dependent upon information it gets from the heart. So there's ways in which we know all of that, scientifically proven. There's over 400 published research papers, uh, peer-reviewed research papers on heart math now, over 8,000 
and listings and research literature. So this is all well understood. Um, that's just the physical level. And we learned how to measure. We have technology people use to improve the heart and brain body communication. We have things like that. Is that but a biofeedback sort of thing? It's like heart biofeedback. It's called the inner balance trainer. And it okay. measures your heart changes in your heart rhythms. It scores them for how coherent they are, which is a, a medical scientific term of the uh, synchronization uh, within the heart rhythms. Um, and that's something that consumers use, people use. It's um, used all around the world. Uh, it's called inner balance trainer. And that's something we created out of our research wheel so that we could then again take that to the street. You know, like great that science says, but what do people do with that science? Exactly. And boy, yes. we need some action right about now, don't right. we? So, yeah, so we? Yeah, we did it that way. We translated it into an app. There's a sensor that you purchase and you, there's an app you download for free and you get to see all that in real time and you train yourself to become more coherent. In that context about heart, you're now utilizing the physical qualities of the heart to create changes. Okay, I've got I've got a question for you here. Hopefully, you can clear this up for me, because when we talk about brain, we talk about the front brain where we have love, compassion, logic, um, and problem solving, and in the back brain where we're in fight or flight, aggression. Um, so the front brain supposedly accesses love. How does that relate to the heart, and how do they interact? Well. The heart is sending signals to the brain, and when your heart rhythms are operating in a more coherent pattern, it opens up those higher perceptual centers in the brain. You can call it front or back, or you know, I'm not so sure if it's front or back, but there's different parts of the brain. And what happens is it begins to, to act to, to provide more of the right kind of synchronized energy into those parts of the brain it begins to open the brain up so you begin to access more of the qualities of like love or care or compassion your perception changes uh, you begin to see things very differently and that can be looked at from a physical standpoint of the changes that are occurring inside your body that are actually activating those parts of your brain so that's one way of looking at it but the key though is to be able to self-activate those type of feelings and that's where the emotional heart comes in Hard emotions have sometimes been looked at as soft, but I don't see them that way at all. Uh, Will I see them as very powerful, you know, parts of our consciousness? And they would well, be. I've, I've had experiences. Um, I work a lot with animals and a lot of wild animals over my over my lifetime, and I can I can come up to a bird that's hit a window and is down, and you think they're dead, and I can pick them up and hold them, and they'll rally unless they have too much brain damage. Or I, I've walked across, you know, run into an animal that was saw me and went ah human and they're in fight or flight and getting real aggressive and i found if i just drop into my heart and just stand there grounded they shift completely what is translating that information to the animal well for starters we produce a field a magnetic field that surrounds us in 360 degrees produced by the heart that field is um, being imprinted with our emotions for example, if we're feeling frustrated or angry or that feeling of, you know, that, that, you know, that animal might pick up on, they run, right? If we're feeling more of a loving, caring, compassionate, those type of emotions, that field is being imprinted with those emotions. And we're literally broadcasting them through the, the, the heart's magnetic field. My belief is, and my observation, is animals have very sensitive uh, relationships to things like energetic fields. And they sense us. I mean, you know, they feel us. And it doesn't mean that every time I walk up on a squirrel, he stands there, you know. But, you know, certainly I see a resonance there. And when I come up on animals, and I live in the mountains outside of San Jose, and I have a lot of animals around me, birds and squirrels and deer and all kinds of things. And I don't ever really even try to talk to them. They, the human voice is not what they respond to. They respond to my energetics. And one of the ways, again, that we are energetically communicating is through the field produced by the heart. How far does that um, field reach? Well, the most conservative measurements you can do done with something called magnetrometers, which are very normal, you know, standard science uh, devices used to measure magnetic fields, we can measure it about three feet outside the body. Re our researchers and other researchers believe the field goes much, much further than that. It's just what the, that's the conservative measurement. And if you even begin to look at fields through the lens of, let's say, quantum physics instead of Newtonian physics, uh, the boundaries of time and space change. They go away. So the field could be actually in a certain way almost infinite. But certainly I believe it's much larger than three feet. Three feet's a very conservative measurement that we can totally stand by, you know, that's totally verifiable by anybody who wants to verify it. Uh, but it's much further than that, I believe. 
So then what happens if you get more than one heart field together cooperating with the same thing? Ah, you're right on it, Will. Though this is where our research really goes now into social and global coherence. You know, fields communicate with one another. Think about it like cell phones. You know, the cell phone produces a little field, and that field is imprinted with things like the photograph or the phone call or the text. And those fields communicate with the fields of other cell phones. Well, we're doing the same thing. And when we bring the fields together, the power increases dramatically, depending upon how coherent we are, what the coherence in the field is. But one of the keys in our research today is exploring all of that, because literally, we are all connected through a vast web of these energetic connections. Every living thing on this planet and beyond is actually connected through energetic fields. So the exploration now is, is about exactly that. What happens when people come together more in the spirit of cooperation, harmony, and love? What can we see there? What happens in the power? Uh, these are things that we're constantly studying and working on today. Even the implications of how the collective field produced by humanity is influencing and relating to the fields produced by the planet Earth itself. So let's go into that collective field thing and take us back to what we're dealing with. Okay. It looks to me like the collective field of humanity is one big modern mess right now. Um, so is that being amplified? Absolutely. You know, here's the thing. It's like the conditions that we're experiencing today, we're actually drawing them to us. You know, the, field, the, the planetary consciousness has been headed in a, a tough direction for a long time. There has to be some, some trade-off there, some balancing. Uh, do believe that we are long past drawing apocalyptic scenarios. It's not going to happen. But what we are drawing is, is the adjustments needed to continue to move forward in an accelerated way. So all the thoughts, feelings, emotions, actions, and reactions that the 7.7 billion of us are experiencing 24-7 all the time is actually imprinting a much larger field that we are drawing from. And we're drawing in what we need for the acceleration of our own personal and collective growth. So That's basically, are you, are, you, are you speaking about how oftentimes we need to enter into chaos or destruction to free up the constituent parts to create something new? Sometimes it has to be that way. Now, my, my goal is to make that as kind and gentle a process as I can for people. Uh, what makes you say you're, we're not going to draw in something apocalyptic given what's going on? I think there's enough consciousness change, enough heart, enough love, enough care, enough uh, of the other side of that that's been put into the world that we've taken it across the line. That that's, we are, that's some really good news. I'm, I'm really glad you're saying that. That we have done that, and it started you know, a while back, and there's been enough contribution to that now that we have earned that that situation. That we, we don't have to go through an apocalyptic blow-up or breakdown of the entire world. Certainly, there are things that can be received that way, and certainly there's a lot of human suffering going on. But it's not the end of the world kind of suffering. It's an adjustment that we're going to go through, and I still hold to the belief in my, my inner vision and what I sense and feel is that we are, in fact, headed in the right direction, believe it or not. And that we're going to show up with a different world not too far down the road that's going to be functioning better. It's going to be a new and better world, and we're going to get there. And it's like this is just part of the stepping stone process we have to go through for that to really be real. We, you know, we've become a mind-dominated culture. What's the impact of that approach to our inability to accurately perceive and respond responsibly to the challenges that we're facing, and how can we shift that? Well, we need a good mind, obviously, uh, but it's also obvious that the logical linear approaches to figuring things out aren't working so well right now. <laughs> so we have to come into different intelligence. I mean, it's the, 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 the Einstein quote that everybody's probably heard. I won't even get it right, but it's basically you can't solve the problems that you have today at the same level of thinking you were at when you created them. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's drawing in new intelligence, and we're actually you know, beginning to access now another bandwidth, so to speak, of intelligent solutions. They're more intuitive in nature. They're not just logical. They show up and they have to be evaluated and assessed, but they come in at super high speed. It's an inner knowingness that shows up. That's all. That has a lot to do with heart. You know, heart, to me, is, is the entry point within our consciousness for intuition. And it's through the intuitive connections that we begin to see into problems and we see things differently. Um, let me give you an analogy that may be helpful. And this is something that I said in the... the um, the newest heart math offering, the heart math experience, which is a, a beautiful uh, course that feels like you're watching a movie that we have. We're giving it away, actually, too. I'm not trying to pit something now, but just saying we decided to give that away during the, the pandemic. Uh, 
but in there in the very beginning I use an analogy where I say that um, electricity was all around us for thousands and thousands of years and people knew about electricity but they really didn't know exactly what it was or what to do with it once they figured that out everything changed and it changed quick it changed dramatically the world we live in today is completely different than the one we had before we had electricity and it happened very very quickly and it dramatically shifted the entire paradigm of how we live our lives to me the same thing is happening and it's about heart we know about heart we've talked about heart it's been written about talked about sung about all of that's been true but we're coming into a new understanding now of heart just like we did with electricity and that the unfoldment of this heart awareness in ourselves will have just as dramatic uh, changes in uh, influence on our lives and on the world itself as electricity did and that's the new consciousness that we're moving into that's pretty exciting we have just about one minute or less left in this segment basically what is heart intelligence and we can pick up on the other side it's your own best friend and your own most reliable guide to making decisions big and small. Let's go to break. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was quick, but we aren't quite ready yet. <laughs> okay. Well, it's high speed. It's intuitive. It's that place you go to inside when life gets tough and you need answers. It's a source of the emotions that we revere the most, like love, care, compassion, kindness, cooperation. And it is, in fact, your own best friend. It's that place that gives you the, the self-security and the information and the guidance you need to make decisions that keep you on the right track and head you in the right direction. So it's in uh, a heart intelligence is not necessarily heart logic. No, it can have a logical sort of aspect to it though. It isn't just fluffy. It has a make sense quality to it. Like this really makes sense. It can be a heart related make sense though. So it isn't just fluffy or floaty. It's got a bottom line to it. And that's why the name of our organization is Heart Math. Heart is something we have a resonance with. Math is something that, you know, represents a groundedness to all that. So bring, bring it to the pavement again, right? Bring right. it, Take to, it to the street. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, it, it is about time for that break. On the other side, we're going to delve deeper into what Heart Math is, how we can engage our hearts in order to find safe passage. This is Mission Evolution. Howard and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Pack past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our special guest this hour is Howard Martin. We're speaking about heart connection and unity consciousness. His website, heartmath.com. Howard, just before we went into the break, we were talking about we need to find safe passage here. And the problems that we're being faced with are absolutely unprecedented. So logic would dictate that we need something outside of logic, like intuition. How can intuition help us and where does it come from? Think about intuition, Will, as like a field of information that's always there, that we access it from time to time. So we have a tendency to see intuition as something that just comes in, you know, like it's magic or something. But think of intuition as, 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 as information that is already, already there all the time. We tune into it and we tune out of it, most of the time out of it. The reason we tune out of it is we could just run too fast. Our minds moving too, too fast. It's, we're living from the neck up. We're not really accessing the deeper part of ourselves, and therefore we cut ourselves off from a lot, including intuition. We at HeartMath look at intuition not as mystical but as practical. And in our training programs, in the certification programs that we do for trainers and coaches and those type of offerings, we talk about practical intuition. Because intuition doesn't have to be mystical. There's a, a really interesting practical side to it. For example, intuition is what gives us the insight we need to know, for example, when to talk to somebody about something sensitive. It gives us direction within that conversation 
about what words to say, the tone that we need to say them in, you know, the way in which we're navigating that sensitive uh, communication. To me, there's an intuitional guide that's happening in there. We're not thinking it all out. It's not just logically doing it. We are following sort of a, a thread and a flow to try to reach an understanding. Uh, intuition shows up all around us all the time. Uh, another place that I've observed a lot of practical intuition is in parenting. Maybe it's because I'm not a parent, but when I look at parenting and I'm watching uh, a mother or a father trying to communicate with a, a young child that can't really communicate well yet to try to understand their needs, they're slowing down, they're focusing, they're putting out love, and they're listening very deeply. And they're looking for an intuitive understanding of what that child's needs are. And when I see that happening, when I see that going down, I realize, wow, this is cool. They're accessing an intuitional field to reach an understanding with that child, but they don't see it that way. They see it as just parenting. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But well, you know, we in in um, we were talking about animals and how if you slow down, drop into your heart, they aren't alarmed by our presence as a rule, and they can just go on about their business without being in fight or flight or causing a threat to us or us to them. Um, and and I like the fact that you brought up the speed. We're going so fast that we don't touch into that place. So if we take all of this back to those fields that surround us and the trees and the animals and the earth itself, does tuning into that place help us access intuition? Absolutely does. And we got to have compassion for the speed of things that are going on now. Yeah, we all live too fast. And for a lot of people, they're just trying to keep up. They're just trying to get by. They're just trying to survive. And the, the, the speed of life itself just sweeps people in and just you know, just takes them on a ride. And it can do the same thing to me. I have a lot of responsibilities. Some of my days are certainly a lot faster than others. You know, And I have to, to be conscious of that, though. And the difference is being conscious of it. If I get to certain points in my day, Gwilda, where I realize that day's running me and I'm not running it. That's time for a pause. Great. And what do you do in that pause? This is the information we're needing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's time for a break. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, basically, I'm, I practice simple heart math techniques. And one of those I'll share just the basic steps with everybody listening now is you just focus your attention in the area in the center of your chest, right where your heart is. And, you know, sort of the, the center of the chest. You can put your hand there if you want to. And then you, you breathe naturally and normally, but in a comfortable rhythm, but a little deeper than you normally would. And as you're breathing that way, you want to imagine as if the breath is flowing in and out through the heart. Now, a lot's happening when you do that, but you can take it a step further and you continue to breathe that way. That's called heart-focused breathing. And as you breathe that way, you begin to make an attempt to feel or activate a regenerative uplifting emotion. And that can be hard for a lot of people, but they're kind of easy ways to do it too. Maybe you feel the feeling of appreciation for the good things in your life. No matter how tough it is, there's always something in, in someone's life that they can appreciate. And tag into that feeling of appreciation for something. Uh, often people can feel the love or the care they have for someone or some place. Uh, it could be a person. It could be a, a special place they go. I know you're involved with animals, Will, and one of the, the, the best ways to trigger those heart feelings is to think about your pet about the, the pet that you love so much that has that unconditional love for you. And so you activate this heart feeling and you continue to do heart-focused breathing. Now that can be done in a minute. That can be done with eyes open. That can be done with eyes closed. You can do it for longer periods of time than a minute. You can do it for all, you know an hour if you want to. But making those efforts to keep touching base with my heart's intelligence during the course of the day allows me to have a better shot at running my day than having the day run me. So it's like a reset. It's a reset. It's a reset back to the heart. And other things that I practice, I mean, I wake up in the morning and before my eyes are even open, I'm already conscious of trying to get down into my heart. I'm already conscious of trying to be putting out love before I'm even out of the bed. And then as the day goes on, sure, that erodes some. I go through the things that people go through. I go through disappointments. I go through upset. I go through having my vanity structures, you know, uh, trigger. I can go through any of that stuff, but it's how quick I come back is most important. So it's, it's almost like 
if a bunch of us do it, <laughs> it's almost like circular breathing, they call it. When you're doing chanting, everybody takes a turn taking a breath, but the chant continues. If we can all become more vigilant about reaccessing our heart, doesn't that hold a more steady tone? Absolutely, and that's one of the keys to creating the collective field environment that begins to usher in the new. That type of approach and that type of inner work done collectively is what is making this process we're going through as gentle as it can be. In other words, as bad as it looks, it could be a lot worse. It's because of the collective heart, collective care, whether people want to call it heart or not, but those type of qualities and values, it's because of that collective energetic contribution that people are making moment to moment, day to day, that we're going through it in the way that we're going through it. Because again, it could be tougher than it is, even though it is very tough for so many people. Well, you know, it sound, as I listen to you, it, it sounds like we're, you're trying to get back to something that we used to have. I mean, if you, if you hold a drum circle and, you know, drum circles, drumming for the tribe, bringing pe people together through rhythm has been around in every continent since the beginning of time. And actually, we've done experiments where you hold a drum circle and before you start, you take everybody's heart rate and they're all doing their own thing. Within 10 minutes after starting a drum circle, the hearts are synchronized unless somebody's on a pacemaker. Now, that is consistent every time we test it. Mm -hmm. So this is old concepts. How did we get away from them? Well, let me first address the old concept thing. Um, I have great respect for everything that's been done, for all the traditions, for the spiritual work that's unfolded over thousands of years that we've built upon as we've gone. And I have respect for those at this very moment today. I would also say that we are in a time period where everything we've already known is taking a turn on the spiral. So there's new in the old. Mm, I love that. It's not just returning to the old. It's like taking the old up the turn on the spiral. Uh, so something like drum circles, things like that, however people get there. I'm a proponent of anything that takes people deeper within. Uh, so whatever traditions, rituals that work for someone, that give them that connection to their heart, they should continue to do those things. I would also suggest that look for the new in all of it because we are moving up the spiral now. We are shifting dimension. So everything we've known before is changing. It's taking on new understanding and new light. It's not. Uh, I'm not relying upon the past to build my future. I'm really looking towards the moment and towards looking towards the future more of where things can go rather than looking backwards in my, my growth in my life while respecting everything that I've done and all the different practices that I've used along the way. Well, that sounds very much like the growth of a tree. If it totally focuses on its roots and tries to stay there, it'll never reach the heavens. And at the same time, it'll fall over if it doesn't maintain its roots. So our roots being the old ways, the spiral is the growth, is it not? That's right. So it's about that balance, right? You know, it's a, and again, the challenge that sometimes we face is when we're, when we're, when these new, new energetics are showing up in, in the world and in our lives, we tend to want to hang on to the old. And when that old gets threatened, we get threatened, you know. But isn't it our concept of the old? It's our concept of the old. That's right. So, and, and again, it's, we, most of us don't like, highly accelerated growth we say we do but there's a, a loss of control feeling that goes into that or a loss of the familiar and i think in these times now we need to be more adventurous yeah, hyper process comes to mind let's go we need to be adventurous let's find out what's on the other side of this pandemic and this social stuff and the elections and all that let's take a look down the road a little bit and i think that we are recreating the new world that we want to see as we deal with this in other words, we, how are you dealing with it as we focus on this, doesn't it immediately hit up against all our restrictions and we have to process out our sacred cows that are no longer serving? That's correct. Exactly right. Well said. We have to process out the sacred cows that are no longer serving. And that can be hard because people like their sacred cows. And <laughs> you know we're familiar with some of them. If they're not serving, then you need to let it go. And that's the tough part sometimes is learning to let go, especially if mindsets and perceptions that you have about this is the way it really is this is my truth this is that this is this i have to challenge myself all the time on what my truth is truth fluctuates it changes it flows it does that evolve, evolution thing with the spiral doesn't it it does and so you know we can make this a smooth process or a hard process and that's up to our choices and how we want to approach it 
I like I like the fact that we were uh, delving into a little bit that it's not so much the truth, it's not so much the old ways or the new ways, but rather our concept of them. How can we free ourselves up enough to embrace a more expansive concept of all these things? Well, I think it has a lot to do going back to, to heart. You know, when we go to heart, it is that source of self-security, and it does provide uh, more of an intuitive intelligence. Think about it like AM radio and FM radio. AM radio, I listen to for the sports, the weather, the traffic, you know, in general news. FM radio, I listen to for music, for NPR, for things like that, you know. And so we need both. And the way you access more of this, the, the type of information that we need now to, to move through the times is like at least giving the heart a chance. Uh, to get that second opinion, to go in and say, look, you know, there's got to be some other viewpoints and angles on this. Don't stay locked in at just what uh, the, the term that we have here, here at Math is know what you know. You know, I'm going to know what I know. This is the way that it is, Will. This is exactly what I've determined this already. I've researched it. I've looked at it. You know, <laughs> and you've got this whole, whole uh, support system around something that you think is exactly the way it is. And if I don't challenge that at times, then I'm not going to grow. It doesn't mean that after I challenge it that I don't come to the same conclusion, but it's the, the desire to challenge that's in most important. How much is our, um, again, perception and our reality impacted by the collective field? It's definitely impacted by the collective field. That's how we sort of have influence of one another. There's a collective consciousness that we all live in, that we all draw from. Part of the new that we're coming into, though, is to recognize that even with those influences, we have the ability to self-empower and co-create within that more than we realize. So is it a matter of focusing on which information you're getting? Like, do we want to focus on the rioters or do we want to focus on, you know, um, right. people yeah, accessing their heart and intuition? Do we want to watch Fox News or CNN? I mean, it comes down to <laughs> simple stuff like that, you know. And again, I have people that I know that, you know, that prefer the Fox uh, news feed to the CNN news feed and their perceptions of the exactly the same events are going to be very different than mine. And I'm not trying to say that I'm right and they're wrong. I'm just saying it's information in which you choose to take in as information and how you then process it. But isn't um, uh, comparing seemingly opposite viewpoints uh, an, an avenue to get to a larger truth? Yes, it is. And I think that one of the keys to that is as you begin to observe those differences, can you observe them and not go into judgment? Boy, isn't that the key? Yes. So we're going to have to take another commercial break. On the other side, let's look at how we bring those polarized things together and come up with a third option. Howard and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion. Don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.com. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Howard Martin. Howard is a contributing author to the book, Heart Intelligence, Connecting with the Intuitive Guidance of the Heart. His website, heartmath.com. Now, is that the latest book you have out, Howard, or is there more now? Yeah, we've moved. We, we do some books every now and then. That's the last one we did. It was 2016. But uh, what we did, Will, is we moved into different types of mediums to get our message out there. And one of the f most fun things I've done in my entire career here at HeartMath was last year when I, I worked with a team here and a team from Mexico and produced the HeartMath experience. So it's a learning. It's a it's a learning program. But when we put it together, we recognize we don't want to create another course what we want to create is an experience so you learn five heart math techniques you learn some of the science you learn about social and global coherence so it has a, a learning component to it but it's and it's divided into chapters so it has that course construct but when you see it and you watch it it feels like you're watching a beautiful movie mm, lovely and they can find that on your website heartmath.com 
Yeah, HeartMath.com is called The HeartMath Experience. We came out with it in January. We were selling it. It was doing really well. It was licensed to uh, other organizations like Gaia picked it up and licensed mm -hmm. it and all of that. And it, all that was rolling right along. And then the pandemic hit. And it was our founder, Doc Childry, that came and said to us, he said, look, right now, we're getting a lot of requests for help. We're doing lots of webinars and all these meditation things that are happening. And, and But we need a centralized focus around something that we can give people that everybody can get right now that could give them a lift in spirit and some tools and techniques they can use. So he recommended that we give away the heart math experience. Oh, beautiful provision. So we gave it away, and when you go to the website, and all you have to do is put in—you get a—you get a, a key to unlock it, and so you put your information, you get this key to unlock it. We've had over a hundred thousand people get that key. Well, no wonder you have hope. Well, we're doing what we can. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's and, wonderful. Yeah. That's yeah. Wonderful. Okay, so we were, uh, as promised, going to talk about um, the polarized condition we find ourselves in, and how instead of judging against the opposite pole, we can find that central place, that balanced place between the two viewpoints and create a new viewpoint. So would you go into that a little bit for us? Yeah, well, we're going to have judgments. It's, you know, it's, judgments are just built in in a certain way in a consciousness, but we can learn to regulate those judgments a bit more and have a bit more of what I would say compassionate latitude for things. Uh, and one place compassionate latitude can get us to is a, is a position of what I would call neutral. Neutral is a place where you're not, you don't know everything, so you're just not yet deciding about something. And so you can be a bit more neutral, and that takes some of the energy and the sting out of the judgments. I was thinking about something this morning. I was thinking about the polarization that's happening between people who are willing to wear a mask and people who aren't. Yeah, that's a big mess, isn't it? And I read about some guy who got shot because, you know, a guy came in the store and killed him, you know, because they got in an argument over a mask. And I was thinking, well, I believe that people should wear a mask. I think it's it's important right now for helping with the pandemic. But there are a lot of people that don't believe that you should. But everybody has a reason. They feel like they're coming from the place that makes sense to them. The neutral on that would be if I sat down with a bunch of people that decided they really were against masks and they won't want to wear them, wouldn't it be interesting for me to really try to understand why they feel that way? That's different than from me saying they're stupid. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Or they're not mm -hmm. contributing to society. They're not doing this and they're not doing that. And that energy of judgment in there. The neutral would be, I don't know why they think that way. I don't agree with it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't think it's the right thing to do, but I don't have to have this big judgment sting that goes with it of they're doing the wrong thing because I don't really know why they think that way. Exactly. And then, then when you're able to come into that neutral place, it gives them a little wiggle room too, doesn't it? It certainly does, and we all need to learn to get along. We need to give each other more allowance, and very fundamentally, the simplest way I could say what the world is trying to achieve right now is simply we're trying to get along better, and that's part of the new, that takes dimensional shift and all that grandiose sounding uh, part of this and puts it into a very, very pragmatic uh, little nugget. We're, we're trying to learn to get along. And it's so practical when you look at it that way. It's like clearly, um, you know, holding to our viewpoint to the exclusion of everybody else's is not serving. It's what's created this big mess out there where people are hurting people. And I don't think it's any of our intention to do that. No, it's not. And everybody feels like most people feel like they're trying to do the right thing. And those right things can be different. I mean, we can run into it in macrocosm, microcosms. You can run into it in the business that you're in or whatever, where you have differences of opinion about a business process or procedure or a strategic initiative. And if you look at it, you can be like your opinion can be completely different, but you have to allow for why the other person may feel that way. And they may feel as if they're doing the best thing for the company, so to speak. Uh, so when we're met with resistance, to, when we're met with resistance like that, somebody is dead set against whatever our viewpoint is. Doesn't it tend to bring up fear? Fear throws us into polarization and out of the heart. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the emotional triggers that happen, and they're going to be again a part of life. But we can return to this other place inside that has more poison, more dignity in it, and we can get back there. You're going to feel the fire of the reaction. That's normal. You're going to feel your emotions rev up and get pumped up, and you'll feel that. But you can take it down a notch or two, and then not too, not too long after that. And find another place inside yourself to where you realize, you know, that's not quite you. You know, there's another more, more dignified, noble part of yourself 
that you operate from and try to return to that place inside and then address the situation. It doesn't mean that the situation does not have to be addressed, but you're coming at it from a different place. Would when you mind in- taking okay. just a minute or two and walk us through that process? Boom, I'm triggered. Okay. Boom, I'm triggered. You know, uh, boom, I'm having the reaction. Boom, I'm ready to lash out. Boom, I'm ready to defend. Boom, I'm ready to, you know, to, to, to reinforce my point. Uh, but I decided not to. And I decided, no, right now, I'm not going to do that. And that's your, big, that's your first big self-empowering step right there is to say, breathe, back off, ease it down a little bit. And then you move back from the situation. As you move back, what's going to happen is your mind's going to continue to try to churn that thing. It's going to slice and dice every angle of it to make yourself right. And you're even going to go talk to people about this thing that just happened. And you're going to try to explain to them why you're right. And you're even going to pick people that you know are going to resonate with your point so they will tell you that you're right. Good old campaigning sets in. Mm-hmm. So you'll you'll go through that whole process, and after a while, you'll just have the your mind, your brain will finally just start to turn that thing so many different ways that it runs out of gas. <laughs> and when it finally starts to wear down, then the signal comes in where your heart says, "Hey, wait a minute! I've been here all along. Can we have a little conversation?" You know, and you begin to like take a, a little different, more let's put it neutral or wider angle view of what just happened and all that. And a lot of times what will happen is you'll come right back down. And after a while, you get to the point where you realize your own part in that play. And you may even go back and apologize or at least try to work it out. And that's getting along. So when we go go into that triggered place, what happens to our field? uh, It gets distorted. It throws out all kinds of incoherent, you know, it's, we call it incoherent spectra. It's a, the frequencies in that field are very chaotic and disordered. Uh, they're not in harmony at all. It's like uh, the frequencies are all competing for the available power at that moment in time, and it's a very chaotic field. But let me go back to the analogy a second, though, if I may, Wilda, and say that mm-hmm. that whole process I just described can be short can be shortened. And that's oh, do your, tell. <laughs> that's where your heart's intelligence comes in. That's when you can move more quickly than you might think with some practice from the trigger, from the feeling to getting to that place where you can address it and you can address it in the moment from a more balanced place. And that's the skill right there. It's like, it doesn't have to go through all that. When you go through the process that I, that I mentioned in describing that you, you're aging, you're burning up a lot of energy. You're robbing yourself from the quality of life that you could be having. So you can learn skills where the trigger happens and you can allow for that to happen and you can bring your system back to balance very, very quickly. And that's part of what HeartMath is about, tools and techniques and technology and all those things that are designed to help people learn to do stuff like that, to learn to make those emotional shifts with more flow. And so you stay more in a flow, and there's going to be allowing for some ups and some downs, but you don't go all the way to the bottom and then all the way to the top and then all the way to the bottom again. You find this middle ground road through there. Your heart's intelligence is what gives you that navigational guide to be able to pull that off. I like the way you, you, you say it's it's kind of a moving target. In other words, don't judge yourself if you can't stay there 100% of the time. You'd be static. You wouldn't be in process. The key is coming back to heart. Is that correct? That's correct. And, you know, one of the things that I uh, remember, uh, Doc Shorty, our founder, again, he's been my friend for a long time. One, one of the compliments he gave me one time, he said, you got a strong rubber band. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, I mean, you, when you get out, you snap back quick. Mm. Boy, I wish we could all develop that. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a strange compliment. <laughs> you have a strong rubber band. You know, okay. <laughs> but it means I can get out, but I don't stay out for a long period of time. You know, I can have, what I found in my own growth is things that used to take me out for a week, take me out for a day, right? That's, that's amazing. And we can all achieve that, can't we? We can. It's all there for us. Exactly right. And we can all do that. And one of the first steps in that, Wilda, and I think you were alluding to it just a, just a minute ago, is that when we find ourselves there, another very important step in the process is try to find a way to, to eliminate some of the self-judgment. That's the huge piece, isn't it? Yeah, I'm bad. I did wrong. You know, uh, Or let me, let me stick to my viewpoint because I don't want to face the fact that I feel bad and wrong. Yeah. Or the feelings that finally settle in of like, oh, my God, am I ever going to get this right? And those kind of feelings. When you find yourself there, that's the anecdote for that is also a heart quality is to try to find a feeling of self-compassion. It seems so key, doesn't it? It it is important to find that self-compassion, recognize, look, we're all 
people doing the best we can, living in a very interesting and often challenging times. People that are listening to your program right now, I guarantee most every single one of you has done a lot of work on yourself. You're good folks. You're doing the best you can. You're doing a lot to help others, whether it's overtly or whether it's through how you walk in the world. Honor yourself for that and find that self-compassion, and that'll bring you back to balance as quick as anything. So eliminate some of the self-judgment, and then the rest can unfold. It seems to me like, uh, from what you've been saying, that it's the self-judgment is actually the root of all evil here, in that then we project that onto the people around us, polarize, and there you go. Yeah, well, it's a lot of talk about self-love and about loving yourself and loving the God within. These are great statements, but then let's take it to the street. You know, that's like <laughs> making making peace with yourself after you've done something that you don't think is the right thing to have done and, and you start feeling bad that you got it all wrong and all that. Right there is when those statements that sound so wonderful when you read them in a book become something that becomes a pragmatic application. How can you first tell that you don't have self-compassion? I mean, all of us think, oh, I'm okay. What are the symptoms? Well, the symptoms are the inner dialogues. I mean, I don't know what an per, individual's personal symptom might be, but it's a lot of people stay more down on themselves than they want to admit or that sometimes they're even aware of. Mm. Uh, and I think it's that's a self-honesty piece. Um, what happens in our privacies is very different than what happens in our in our day-to-day interactive consciousness. It's the inner thoughts that we have about ourselves, that we're not good enough or we compare with others, that we're not as smart as them or we're not as good looking as them or we're not as rich as them. And all these things are, are forms of self-judgment, actually, yes, of non-acceptance so of ourself. They're non-accepting uh, thoughts and feelings and they're self-defeating in many ways. And we're going to have them. But we can begin to reduce them. We can play fun games with ourselves. You know, I play I play humor games myself all the time. You know, just like you know, uh, when I when I turned um, seventy, I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, it's amazing. I finally gotten this point in my life when I have to go ahead and accept the fact that you know, it's hard to believe I've gotten so good looking in only seventy years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I hope you get better looking in the next seventy. But so we're you flip just... it around, you know, you turn, you turn it into humor, you know. We are out of time, though, uh, unfortunately. But Howard, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with our audience. Rhoda, thank you for having me. Thanks for the good work that you do and for the way in which you do your show. Uh, you're a wonderful host and wonderful person to have uh, interview me. And I look forward to the next time we're together. Until then, okay. you take really good care. You too. Our guest this hour has been Howard Martin. Howard is the original leaders who helped found HeartMath, serving as a key spokesman and executive. His website, heartmath.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Be sure to join us next time as this mission continues, bringing you information, resources, and support to navigate the challenges of an evolving world. Thank you.